as these are going up, what is, so just a quick, quickly, what is uh, objective truth? Just shout out like words that go with objective truth. Shout them out. Huh? Standard. Standard, good. What else? Evidence. What? Evidence. What do you mean evidence? Like a fact. Facts, good, okay. What else? Give me a, give me a, a word. Oh, I said facts. You did? Give me a word. Truth is good, like, it, does it depend on what you think or feel? No, it's outside of that. Subjective truth is what? Opinion. It's opinion based, it's based on the? <clears throat> yeah, the subject, right? You can always remember this, if you ever get lost, especially at the end and you get, when you're taking your comprehensive exam, and I ask what's the difference between objective and subjective truth, just remember, objective truth is about the object, which is externally outside of you, and subjective truth is about the subject internally, your own thoughts, feelings, and desires, okay? Now, what I want to do today, before we, I want, I want to, so remember I said I was going to use interchangeably moral relativism and subjective truth. But just so we're on the same page, I think you get objective is outside what you think or feel. It doesn't really depend on what you think or feel. But subjective, I want to make sure that when I say moral relativism, we all are on the same page and we understand exactly what I'm talking about. So simply just write down moral relativism, and then you put slash subjective truth, and I want to just give you three points that go along with that. <clears throat> moral relativism, the first is this, that truth <clears throat> is changeable. <clears throat> it changes with the times. Right, so the idea like cavemen obviously didn't behave the same way that we do. Right? You know what I really like about uh, G.K. Chesterton? <clears throat> he talks about cavemen, actually, and he says, uh, he, it's kind of funny. He says, well, when you think of a caveman, what do you think of? <clears throat> Geico. Huh? Geico. Geico, okay, what else? <laughs> Fire. Fire, dirty. Come on. Brutish. Hairy. Talk. Brutish. Brutish. Uh, so dumb, British. right? British. <clears throat> totally uncultured. <laughs> Chesterton says, why do we think that? Why do you think that? What evidence do we have of that? Just what other people give us. Right. But he said, if we think about cavemen or the early, you know, prehistoric people, what are the things that we have from them? Huh? Artifacts. Artifacts. What kind? Like tools. Tools. Okay. So they had a craftsman toolbox. So immediately we should conclude that they were dumb and brutish and used it to kill one another. He said, why do we think that? And what, what else? What other things do we have from them? Cave paintings. Cave paintings. They were artists. Oh, they must have beat the hell out of each other. And what did they paint? Pictures of? Nature. Huh? Nature. Nature. They were trying to grasp like... All the things that we do. And you could say, well, they paint pictures of war. Oh, yeah, we don't, we don't struggle with war anymore. So, you know, what Chesterton says, like, 
you know, why do we conclude that they were so, like, animalistic when all we have are just stuff that shows they were just like us, pretty much. Obviously a lot more primitive. But that they would have acted different than we do. That they had a different morality than we do. That they had a different truth than we do. This is what moral relativism is claiming. Whereas objective truth would say what? It was the same truth running from the beginning of mankind. Now, there are different ways to approach it. I just want to be clear about that. Because you could sit back and say, well, the, 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 what was it, the Mayans or the Aztecs, they had human sacrifice. Is that true? Yeah. They did. So were they going against thou shall not kill? What did they think about those sacrifices? Were they killing them just because they were innocent victims? No. Why were they killing them? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. So the sun would come up, number one. Okay? Now, if you didn't, now again, what has changed since then? It's not that like you can't you can't kill the innocent. That's still the practice. What has changed is we don't have to sacrifice people to make the sun come up. So it's a distinction, not an altercation of the truth. Just remember these things, okay? All right, number two. It is moral relative to the subject of truth is completely based on the subject. <clears throat> what he or she thinks or feels. There is, and I put a little bullet point underneath that, there is no good or bad unless I think it is good or bad. There is no good or bad unless I think it is good or bad. <clears throat> and finally, morality or truth is individual. So it's not a blanket law that all humanity has to follow. Each individual person makes up their own truth. <clears throat> now again, you know when, I, when you say like this moral relativism and it's just kind of a cancer that's killing society right now, it's not new. It's the same crap repackaged and sold to you in a different way. Where would we, I mean again, now as believing Christians, where did moral relativism begin? Scripturally. This isn't supposed to be a hard question. Adam and Eve. Huh? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. Good. When specifically? <clears throat> exactly. So God puts him in this garden. Again, this is a story, right? Trying to teach us a principle about humanity. And he says, don't eat of which tree? The tree of what? Knowledge. Knowledge of good and evil. Don't try. But what God is saying in that story is not don't eat a freaking apple. He's saying don't try to make up for yourself what is good and evil. Leave that up to me. Everything else you can do. Just don't try to define good and evil individually. Because you will die. Now I want to give you a little... because. This kind of, this is a little story from my own life. <clears throat> now, I, I love to snowboard. 
I love sports in general. I'm sort of athletic, and I can, you know, I tend to pick up sports pretty easily. One thing I did not pick up easily is surfing. Has anybody ever gone surfing? Okay, if you go, you, can, you might go and you say, Father Waltz, it's really easy because you're on a longboard. I'm talking shortboard surfing. Shortboard surfing is the most challenging sport I have ever done in my life. And the reason I'm telling you this story is, is because when we choose for ourselves, when morality becomes individualistic, you have no point of reference. Why is that a problem? Because if you do something to me, I can't hold you accountable. Do you understand why I can't hold you accountable? Because there's no standard. I can't say you shouldn't have done that because you obviously thought it was right. And so I have nothing to protect myself with. This is why, you know, when we talk about moral, moral relativism, it seems so appealing. Because why? If you, if you espouse this ideology, how do you live your life? However the hell you want. That's pretty appealing. Right? You know, I mean, if I came up to you and I said, guess what? You can do whatever you want and there's no consequences. Just as long as you feel good about it and it, you, you feel it's right. You think it's okay. Just as long as you're happy. I hate that freaking line. No, I just, I just want him to be happy. I know he's a meth addict. I just want him to be happy. I know he's sleeping with his girlfriend, but I just want him to be happy. You know, like, what is happiness and how do we protect one another and keep each other safe so that we can truly experience authentic happiness? And so there's no point of reference. So if I, if I espouse to objective truth and you steal my car, can I hold you to a standard? Yeah, because you're part of the human race and you're supposed to know you can't steal something that's not yours. If I'm a moral relativist, I have nothing to stand on. This is why Jesus says, build your house on rock, solid ground. What is rock? What is solid ground? It's objective stuff. Build your house on facts. Don't build it on sand. What is sand? What, sand is shifty. It moves around. Guess what else is shifty? You. Your thoughts, your feelings are shifty. They move around. And when Jesus says, he says, don't build it on sand because when the storms come, and friends, they will freaking come. You might not experience them now. I mean, in my own life, I, I really thought I was invincible. I really did. I'm not, I don't say that, like, I was a dumb, I was an idiot. I still am an idiot. But I really thought I was invincible. I couldn't be hurt. In soccer, I played soccer all the way through college. When a ball was coming, I would literally throw my entire body into the air recklessly because I was convinced I couldn't get hurt. And I never got hurt. Until I was in Rome and I was playing the football game. They call it the spaghetti bowl. It's a seminary, so you put 180 guys together and tell them to play flag football. It's not flag football. <laughs> Actually put 180 celibate guys together and tell them not to tackle. And it was like, boom, he gets like, up the flags. <clears throat> I broke my arm. I broke my wrist. Never forget that, man. It shattered like this image, this I ideal of myself that I was invincible. It was really crazy. Actually, I ran into a ref. I wish I had a better story. But I was running. And I like this this guy Joe Freedy. He's now a priest. He was a D1 quarterback for uh, Buffalo, I think. And he joined the seminary. And he was he, he was just picking us apart because this guy could just laser these balls. And we were we were up by seven. You know, it was like last couple plays of the game. 
And all of a sudden, I caught him on my eye. Like, he was getting ready to throw, so I just put my head down, started running, looked up. There was the ref. Just boom. And I, I don't know how, but I got inverted. And my, my feet were up above my head. And as I came down, I tried to catch myself like this, but I had my arm locked. And it literally was like, like that. <clears throat> I'm telling you that everybody, you could do, it was, it's on video, and everybody's like, oh, because it was so loud. And I'm laying on the ground. And I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm serious. I, mean, I think it was shock, right? Because I didn't feel any pain, but I was like, something is terribly wrong with my body. And all of a sudden, like, I brought my arm around, and I'm t I had this claw, and this part of my hand was on my arm. <clears throat> and these, the radius and ulna, they were pushed. They were they were pushing against the skin, and I was just like, ah! you know, like, as soon as you see it, you're like, ah! and it, and it was, what's really interesting though, this is, I'm, I'm all over the place. I just got back. I drove in. I left things guys this morning. I got in today at like ten minutes ago, and but um, where were they going? Oh yeah. So the only thing that was hurt was my wrist, right? Just my wrist. All I did was break my wrist. Guess where the pain was? Freaking everywhere. Like, you, I couldn't move. I was like, ah, ah, and I'm just screaming because this thing, you like, I'm gonna have this the rest of my life. You know, like, they're never gonna be able to fix it. I'm in Italy. Italy practices socialized medicine, and you get what you pay for, which is zero. And literally, they took, they, this is hilarious. They called, they called the hospital and said, we need an ambulance. And they said, well, we're not running the ambulance today. In Rome! This is like in New York City, call in and be like, I'm sorry, we don't have an ambulance running today. So they drive me down there. The guy comes out with this wheelchair from, I swear to you, World War II. He's just like, <laughs> and you know, if you break anything, any small movement, he's like, get in the wheelchair. I'm like, I'm not getting, I'm not getting in that. And he's like, you have to, it's part of our code. And I'm like, really? Now you have a code? You know, and so like, I had to get it and like, we're just, and these guys are idiots. They're walking, and he's just like, Joe, you got it. He's like, Joe, bella, boom. You know, and I just want to kill this guy. Well, then we go, I'm like, where are we going? And he's like, well, we have to take an x-ray. I'm like, really? This is broken. And he's like, oh, yeah, it's part of our protocol. <laughs> take an x-ray. And they literally take you in, you know, by now in America, you have some sort of sedative or painkiller, but not in Italy. They don't know what those are, apparently. I don't know. So he takes me in, and, and you know, in America, it's like, Jelly, okay, just put it down. Put it. You know, he's like, give me your arm, you know. They're like, turning it. And he comes out, and he's like, yeah, it's broken. I'm like, <laughs> then they, this is the last part of the story. Then they, they have me laying on this table. There's a little, little room, and there's four guys in there. And you just like, close your eyes, take a breath. I'm like, okay. He's like, you've had a hard day. I'm like, yeah. So I go. <laughs> All of a sudden, I feel one guy here, one guy on my legs, one guy here, and one guy grabs. And I like open my eyes in terror. And he's like, you need to spiatch it, which means I'm sorry. He's like, <laughs> like that. And I'm just like, Fah! And like right outside this door is the waiting room. There's like 20 people out there. And I'm like, Fah! You know, like. I don't even remember really. I had a rosary in my hand that a guy gave me. He's made of those like plastic beads. I broke them. That's how hard I was squeezing it. 
And then he's like, afterwards, it was so funny. I mean, looking back on it, it was funny. He's like, afterwards, and I'm just like, you know, and their cat, and the cat's at the here. And then they gave me liquid aspirin for the pain. But anyway, as he's casting it, these other two guys are over, like, washing their hands, and he's like, hey, shit. <laughs> and I'm like, really? Like, I can hear you. I'm standing right here, and I can hear you. But anyway, then they casted it, and they didn't think about swelling. So I woke up at 3 in the morning, my hands were, like, blue. It was just a nightmare. I don't even know how I got onto that. But the point is, <laughs> I want to tell you a story about surfing. There's something I got on the spaghetti bowl. Um, surfing, no point of reference. Okay? You have no point of reference in, rel in relativism or moral, moral relative, subjective truth. Here's how I want to show you it can kill you. Okay? Actually, there's, there's two. This will be the first one. So surfing. Nobody's been surfing. But you've been to the ocean? Y'all been, been to the ocean? Good chunk, you've been to the ocean. With big waves? The Pacific side? Okay. <clears throat> so we went to this place called Puerto Escondido, which is the top, there's, there's the top 10 surfing beaches in the world. Puerto Escondido is like number six, okay? We had never surfed before. So we thought it'd be a good idea to go to a top 10 big wave beach to start surfing. We got out there and we're standing, and like for the first half hour we just took pictures. <clears throat> you know, trying to stand on the board like, <clears throat> and we were looking at these waves. Now I don't know, like to, to learn surfing, you're supposed to practice on like two to three foot walls. Okay, so those are waves like this big. The ones that are coming in that day were 10 to 15 foot walls. That's as high as the ceiling. And we thought, great, because bigger's better. And as we went out onto the beach, there was a red flag blowing. And nobody was on the beach that day. <laughs> now, any idiot could figure out red means what? Danger, stop, okay? Red flag on a beach, don't go out. We were only down there a couple days. We're like, we're not wasting this. Look at the size of these waves. We're going out, right? And they have all, you know, you know what riptides are? Riptides are when you have directional waves coming in from two different ways, and as they hit the shore, they create a suction back out to sea. If you get caught in that and you don't know what you're doing, you will die because you will try to swim against it instead of swimming across. If you try to swim against it, you will die. There was undertow. You all know what undertow is, right? This was a wicked wicked day to be out surfing and we had never done it before as we're out there it took us 30 minutes to get past the break you know what the break is okay you have the waves and when they break they, they curl and when they curl you're supposed to take your board and you dive under it and then you pop out the back side of these these waves so we were like <laughs> we were like ducked down like <laughs> just i mean it was constant we finally get past the break, and we're sitting out there. And just to give you an idea of these waves, we, we, you know how you sit on your board? You ever see, I'm just assuming you've seen movies. It's really hard to do that. Servers make it look easy. They're just like high five, and they're sitting on them. You know, I was like, the board shoots out from underneath me. But as we're trying to sit on these boards, it was like this. It was like, hey, there's the beach. There goes the beach. Hey, there's the beach. <laughs> and we're like, this is awesome. We are like the greatest surfers in the world. <laughs> he's like, are you ready? I'm like, I'm so ready. He's like, you ready? Like, yeah. So we start paddling. And we both, now I'm, I'm regular. My buddy Joe is goofy. 
So I pop up. This is Joe. Remember the, what I didn't tell you about Joe yet. Anyway, uh, Joe's giving a couple stories. <clears throat> so as we're, I jump up, I'm like, boom. He jumps up, boom. We look at each other like, yeah. We look and we're like, no. And literally just, and I mean, you're talking 15 feet up. So you're like, you know, here's the, here's the wave. And here's me. <laughs> You know, <laughs> and, and I'm and I'm staring. I'm just like, this is not going to be good. Whatever happens here is not going to be good. I hit the water, and I'm just like, boom! I'm like, ah, like belly flop. I'm like, oh, this is not. This is split second stuff. I'm like, that was wasn't terrible. Well, then, 15 foot wall of water lands on top of me, and you guys. It was just a like, boom, I'm like, oh, boom! And I literally, it threw me into the ocean floor. Now, if you know, again, surfing, the way it works, right, you have, here's the ocean, here's the floor, there's the beach. So as the, the wave's coming, right, it hits here, pushes water up. So surfing happens in like five or six feet of water. These massive energy moving waves get pushed up and that's all these things. So this is about six feet, okay? Hits the ground. Down below is rock. It cuts me. Okay, I don't. I don't know if you can see. There's a cut on my head. Can you see that? Mm -hmm. There's a little scar. Yeah. That's from that. My chest, because I was like this, and I'm like boom, I hit a rock. My chest just. I'm telling you that you know. And this is what's so funny about the human person. I immediately thought like, oh crap, sharks. <laughs> like I didn't even. Know. I was stupid. That is the dumbest thought in the world. But I'm sitting there and I'm like, ah, yeah, you know, and then you forget what is tied onto my ankle, my big surfboard. So I'm sitting there like, ah, and it just <laughs> literally takes me. Because the wave, as it goes, it goes like this, right? I'm in the midst of this. And I'm getting tossed, and this is why, this is more relativism. You following me? <laughs> this is more relevant. I had no point of reference. None. I had no, I was, I was literally like this. I was trying to find what? The bottom. I didn't know if I was upside down, left, right. I could have been straight up. I didn't know. And I just kept swirling and moving. And then the point came where I said, I'm going to die. And I meant it. I am out of air, and I'm gonna die. And if I don't, this time when I put my feet down, if I don't hit the bottom, I will inhale water and I will drown. And I put my feet and I hit it, and I was like, yeah! And I jump again, now I'm not remembering, right? Here's the water, here's me dying. Well, again, guess what's up here? My surfboard. <laughs> So I'm like, yeah, boom! Smack, blood starts pouring out of my nose. I inhale blood and salt water, vomit in the water because I, and I'm, I mean, it was, you guys, it was terrible. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, right, I'm crying. I'm not embarrassed to admit this. I was bawling like a little baby. And now when I'm, again, what you're not thinking is this. Guess what happens in the ocean? Sharks like blood. No, not sharks. <laughs> what happens in the ocean? 
more waves come. So I'm like, wow, that's over. Thank God I'm safe. Bam! And it all happens again. I'm telling you guys, I don't know how long I was in there. But I was vomiting. I was bleeding uncontrollably. I finally got up onto the shore. And I'm like, I don't know how I got there. And I'm just like... And, and literally, you guys, I mean, blood is just, it's terrible. And I, <laughs> and I look over, and all I see is Joe <laughs> bleeding dead. I thought he was dead. I'm like, oh, I'm like, Joe, are you okay? And like, we literally just sat and cried for like 10 minutes on the shore. Again, why is this relevant? <laughs> Because if there is no point of reference, you have nowhere to put your feet. You have nothing to stand on. And if you have nothing to stand on, you have no way to protect yourself. Why was I almost dead? I couldn't find the ground. This is what relativism does. It gives you no ground. Sure, you can do whatever the hell you want, but you can't protect yourself with a moral code. This is what, if, if, again, if moral relativism is true, then what happened to the Jews, it just happened. It just happened. There's nothing we can do about it. Not good, not bad, just happened. All right, so, you got it? I hope you got it. We're going to go into the problems with moral relativism, okay? Just put problems with moral relativism. The first problem. is what we call the logical difficulty. <clears throat> what does moral relativism or subjective truth, what does it claim about truth? Subjective. It's subjective. Is there any real truth? No. no. It's just according to your whatever the individual thinks. So the logical difficulty, what we're looking at, relativism statement, it's, it's banner, it's flying colors that it waves in front of the whole world is, there is no truth. <clears throat> there is no truth. But this is a logic, this statement is a logical contradiction. <clears throat> It is what we call, I just want to make sure, <clears throat> before I get into this, a logical contradiction or a self-refuting proposition. Self-refuting proposition. <clears throat> what do I mean by that? How is it a logical contradiction? How is the statement, there is no truth, how is that a logical contradiction? Because if it's true, then it's not true. Because it's saying it's not. there's no truth, but if that's true, if there is no truth, then it can't be true. Exactly. The statement, the statement refutes itself. <laughs> so the very, the very principle that moral relativism stands on is a contradiction. It's a logical contradiction. Because if I say to a person, there is no truth, yeah. Are you sure there is no truth? Yeah. There is absolutely no truth. Yes. So you would say that the only truth is that there is absolutely no truth. 
Do you see all that? You see what it does? It contradicts itself. The, the, pro, the logical problem then, or the logical difficulty is, the whole philosophy is built on a contradiction. Its very foundation is a contradiction. That's the logical difficulty. <clears throat> I want to, before we move on here, because this is a good, a good spot, spot, spot to talk about <clears throat> the law of non-contradiction. <clears throat> because it fits in here. This is a good philosophical principle. <clears throat> the law of non-contradiction states this. A thing cannot both be and not be in the same time and in the same respect. <clears throat> I want to give you an example of this <clears throat> from Lewis's own work, and it's about Jesus. Because so many people want to say, oh, Jesus was this, Jesus was that, Jesus was... The principle of non-contradiction forces us to make choices. You can't have it both ways. So what Lewis says underneath the example I want you to use is in regards to Jesus. <clears throat> he says, Jesus is one of three things. <clears throat> he is either the Lord God himself. <clears throat> or a liar. Or a lunatic. <clears throat> he has to be one of these three things. And he says the reason he has to be one of these three things, we're forced with a choice here. We can't just say he's a good moral teacher. Because was he a good moral teacher? Based on what he said. He said, eat my flesh. Drink my blood. Just on the surface. This guy's freaking crazy. He went to somebody who was crippled and he said, My son, your sins are forgiven. That's crazy. I mean, who else? Again, this is a Chesterton thing. He said, who else but Jesus? Can we hear in the gospel, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And everybody's like, yeah. I mean, imagine if I went around the University of Mary and I'm like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And none of you have life in you unless you come through me. The Father and I are one. <laughs> Lewis is like, this guy is insane. He's either, so he's either, because of the way he speaks, he, he's either the Lord God himself, and then that gives him the right to speak that way. He's a liar. He's just making up a bunch of stuff. Or he's a lunatic. He is seriously insane. <clears throat> he's a very dangerous man. You guys understand this? This is why the Romans partially wanted him dead. He was a very dangerous man for the time. Because of the stuff he was saying. <clears throat> we, we, we just don't get, you know, like, shaken enough when we hear the gospel proclaimed. 
It's like we're too far removed. This is why people, if they pray, they would understand this stuff. That this is revolutionary. This is crazy. You know, I'll give you a clear example from the scriptures. In the Beatitudes, Jesus says, You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you look at a woman with lust, you have already committed adultery with her in your heart. If you, what is the most profound statement in that? Or the, what's, what grabs you the most in that whole statement? Or maybe it doesn't, it doesn't grab you. Huh? Just looking. Just looking. Right, that, in, in our day, I mean, guys sit back and like, holy crap. Just looking? <laughs> Come on, Jesus. Don't you understand? But here's the thing. That isn't even close to the most crazy thing of that statement. The craziest thing of that statement is when he says, you have heard it said, you should not commit adultery, but I say to you, that's the craziest part of that statement. Why is that the craziest part of that statement? Where have you heard it said, you should not commit adultery? From God. From God in the Ten Commandments. But I say to you, what's he doing? Trumping He's trumping God. He is playing God. That's freaking crazy. This is not just this fluffy, happy-go-lucky Jesus. Happy, fluffy Jesus, that's what I call him. No, that you can, you, that's how you get in here. You know, I know, you were bad, you get in here. <laughs> Come on, Come on! Right? Like, like we can just do whatever the hell we want, and at the end, Jesus is going to be like, Come on, you know. That's stupid. This was a freaking man. He was a badass man. You guys, do you realize, I mean, we don't think about this enough. I mean, really, why were so many women followers of Jesus? Because he's really good looking? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> the way he's pictured all the time, he has a six-pack. <clears throat> the reason he, they followed him is because he was like the most masculine freaking man that they had ever encountered. He didn't back down from anybody. Nobody. He had freaking crowds coming to him, getting ready to kill him. And he's like, what? Let's do this. You want to dance? Let's dance. But it's not my hour, so it ain't going to happen yet, because I will tell you when it's going to happen. Imagine that. <laughs> Coming with like 20 guys, we're like, we're going to kick this guy's ass. And he's like, you're not going to kick my ass. I'll tell you when to kick my ass, because I'm in charge. Only when I say kick my ass will you kick my ass. And he walks away, and they're like, OK. <laughs> they tried to throw him off a, off a cliff. It said that the townspeople charged him, ran him out to the cliff. They tried to stone him, and it said Jesus walked through their midst. How does that happen? This is a freaking dude. No, he's a man, and I'm so sick. He's been so emasculated. So emasculated. You know, the, like, you know, him playing with kids. The same with, I, I don't, you know, maybe liturgical artists, sometimes they do us a disfavor. Like, like angels, too, you know? Get rid of every concept of angel you've ever seen painted. Because when you see, you know, they have big butts and, you know, cheese. You know? I mean, oh, yeah, that thing's going to help me. 
I'm supposed to ask for angelic protection. <laughs> what is the number one feeling, emotion that is emitted in the scriptures when there's an encounter with an angel? Terror. Terror. Fear. These people, like they drop to the ground. John the Apostle wanted to worship the angel. He was so blown away. Instead, we got little fat babies with wings. <coughs> Another tangent I got. <laughs> Lord, lunatic liar. He cannot be all of them. He must be one of them. I want to, again, really quick too, under this law of non-contradiction, there's something that's attacking. I said this two weeks ago. You probably don't remember, but I said right now there's this. Another kind of philosophy, if you will, <clears throat> called scientism. Okay? I'm not even really sure how to spell it, but I think it's this. <clears throat> scientism. And this, this philosophy comes from a rift between faith and reason. <clears throat> when the world says reason, what does it mean? <clears throat> it means science. It means physics, chemistry, biology. Reasonable. It's reasonable if I can prove it through science. I got a buddy uh, in Washington, D.C., and uh, a couple times he got to act as chaplain at the Senate uh, and at the House of Representatives, and he said, it's amazing. You cannot bring a bill forward unless science can prove it. He said, if... if, if, if if it comes from a philosophical background, they won't, even, they won't even bring it on the floor. This is why it took us as a pro-life community so long to get a bill for pro-life stuff on the Senate floor. Because we, we finally have proven to the entire community in the medical world that life begins at conception. It's been proven through science. The philosophical concept has now been proven through science. And so, oh, now it's true. <laughs> Now it's true. And so the idea is, everybody should, there should be a separation of faith and reason. Reason is all the scientific hardline evidence. Faith is idiots who believe in angels with bubbly butts and wings. That somehow these two don't go together. That they should be separated. <clears throat> Again, into this, where is it here? The self-refuting self proposition. Because we, it's, it's like this statement, there is no truth, right? Scientism says all truth, only science can prove all truth. What's the matter with that? What's the problem with that statement? What proves science? Well, it's not a scientific statement. Science proves all truth is a philosophical statement. So the very statement itself is not scientific, therefore it can't be proven, therefore it can't be true. It's a self-refruiting proposition again. So these, this idea that science hardline facts is the only way that we can come to truth is crazy. It's a contradicting statement. Again, I hope you guys understand this. I'm try, I, I, there's so damn much I have to go through. I had to cancel class last week because I was gone. <clears throat> so I'm moving a little fast. Again, if you get stuck, you have a question, feel free to raise your hand. Hopefully I can flush it out a bit more. But again, I would define reason as this, because reason cannot just be science. We've just proven that. All truth is scientific? Well, that's a non-scientific statement. It's a philosophical statement. So what is reason then? I would say the reason is this. Reason is receptivity to reality in all its aspects. 
This is how I would define reason. And this isn't subjective either. This so happens to go along with the 2,000 year tradition. <clears throat> reason is receptivity to reality in all its aspects. <clears throat> the quantifiable and the non-quantifiable. The tangible and the intangible. Reason is receptivity to reality in all its aspects, the quantifiable and the non-quantifiable, the tangible and the intangible. <clears throat> Let me ask you a quick question. <clears throat> who believes in this room, who believes in atoms? Atoms. Talk about. Like molecular. Yeah, molecular stuff. Atoms. A-T-O-M. Atom. So you all believe in atoms. Who's seen one? Has anybody seen one? Nobody has ever seen an atom. <clears throat> What's that? Not individually, but the collection. Yeah, everything a collection of atoms. But we but has anybody ever seen an atom? No. Why do we say there's atoms? <clears throat> Because we look at molecular structure, and based on molecular structure, there must be things called atoms. <clears throat> but no one has ever seen an atom. That you can check out. But yeah, we all believe in them. So an intangible reality. <clears throat> Here's one. Uh, who hasn't been to New York City? Do you believe New York City is there? Why? Because there's pictures. But you've never been there. You've never experienced it. You've never seen it. Yes. So why do you believe in it? Because you believe other people. And that's what we call faith. Faith. You guys, we use faith all, all the time. Except when it comes to God. Why the Adam thing? Why even bring that up? Because we look at the created world, and can you see God? Has anybody ever seen God? No. But based on the ordering of the world, it sure as hell seems like there's a God. Just as in the ordering of molecular constructs, there sure as hell seems like there's atoms. When it comes to atoms, everybody's like, oh, yep, sure. Never seen them, though. But we can prove them, really? Well, yeah, I mean, we can prove that they're there. Have you seen it? No. We haven't seen New York City. Here's another one. Like, I mean, doctors. You know what I mean? If a doctor, like if I went in for my physical, I came back, and the doctor's like, uh, you have cancer. I'm like, no, I don't. Whatever. Nobody says that. Nobody says that to a doctor. We trust, we put faith in people all the time. Dentists, this is another one that kills me. If everything. Dentists are always like, okay, see you in six months. You're like, okay. Why? <laughs> Why can't it be a year? Because we trust them that they know what they're doing and they want to take care of us. We put faith in stuff all the time. Faith, I want you to write this down. Because <clears throat> faith is typically seen as just personal belief. Faith comes from the Latin word credo. 
which is I believe. This is the Christian understanding of faith. Credo. I believe. And what, what word do we get in English from credo? Huh? Well, creed, sure. I'm thinking of something a little bit more. Credibility. Credit. Good. Credit. Okay? So I believe, what is credit? We believe, I believe, you'll pay me back. Right? That's why we have credit. And this comes from credible. So Christian faith is that we are saying, you are worthy of my trust. I trust you. And who are we trusting? Yeah, Jesus. Jesus came and told us about God, and we look at him and we say, I trust what you're telling me is real. It's not some personal belief. It's that you say that Jesus Christ is credible. That I will, here's, well, here's what I'm saying with my faith, I will stake my life. I have staked my life on the fact that what he said is true. I'm putting all my chips on it. Do you guys know Blaise Pascal, French philosopher? There's this thing called Pascal's Wager. You ever heard of it? Pascal's Wager, just really quick. <clears throat> it's, it's a genius thing. It's always fun to share it because it's kind of like the last stepping stone if somebody's like, I'm an atheist. He's like, okay, let me just bear with me. So Pascal said this. He said, if there is a, and you can write this down if you want. If there is a God... And I believe that there's a God. That's a winning situation. Okay? If God exists, and I believe God exists, I win. Because that means I'm living my life according to what God taught, what Christ taught me, and I get heaven. That's the logic. Then he said, but if I believe in God, and there is no God, well, I still win. And you sit back and you just be like, no, he doesn't, you know you don't win. Sure you do. Because at the end of your life, what happens? Nothing. Nothing. You cease to exist. So you're like, you've lived your life for others. You've, you know, you've, you've been working your tail off to help the world be a better place according to the principles of the gospel. You're in your deathbed and you're like, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm going to heaven. Guess what? That's your last thought. Will you ever know if there was a heaven or not? No. So it's a win again. You haven't lost anything. Then he says, but if I believe there is no God and there isn't, well then, I guess I win again. <clears throat> now, I'd make an argument against this, but I'm just, because I would say I don't think you do, because you have a hell, hellish life. Um, but he's, he's right, right? If, I don't, if there is no God and I believe there's no God, do I lose anything? No. But then he says, but if there is a God and I don't believe in him, I lose everything. Now, Blaise Pascal, who is a famous French uh, philosopher, was also a gambler. That's why they call this Pascal's Wager. So he says, based on that, <clears throat> should I believe in God or not? I should. Just on odds. Because three of the four 
work out in my favor. He said, therefore, it is the height of ignorance not to believe in God. Just based on probability. You know, if I came to you and I said, I got this one ticket. If I give it to you, you have a 75% chance of winning. But I got this other ticket, and if I give it to you, you have a 25% chance of winning. Which one do you want? Which one are you going to take? You're going to take 75. And I would argue that I would even add the Pascal. Why did I jump? <laughs> yeah. Would you say the one ticket would be a 100% chance of winning? The, the God one? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, this, yeah, this is where I... Win, win. I would say, so he's saying it's three out of four, right? If, God, if you believe God does exist, you win the first one, you win the second one, you would lose the third one because you could have lived your life like there was no God and there was no God and you would have... And the last one you win again because if you would have bet on that, you would have lost. <clears throat> but I'm going to say, I think it's 100% win. Because, you know, when he says, if God doesn't exist and I live like he doesn't exist, well, then I, I lose nothing. I don't think that's true. I think you lose a ton. Like I said last year, was that two weeks ago? I said, I've been to people's deathbeds, and I've never heard them say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I spent so much time helping people. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe I went to church so much. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe I helped out the poor. I was such an idiot. You never hear that. Yeah. But they're also on their deathbed, so they could be like remorse because they know that they're going to die. So maybe they're scared. Sure. But I'll, okay, I'll leave them. Let's back it up. Because <laughs> I've been with people. Right now, my brother and I are working with a meth addict, okay? It's, a, it's an amazing story, really, how it all went down. But this, this poor young girl has been to hell and back because of the choices she made because she didn't believe in what? God. That's how she got in. It's, it's a nightmare. But my point is, is when you, if you believe in God, you order your life in a certain way. If you don't believe in God, you order your life in a certain way. And they both have tragic, not tragic, drastic effects. I mean, look, you just look like, I, I went to, I'm a huge Bon Jovi fan, and I went to Bon Jovi in Winnipeg like two years ago, <clears throat> and I gotta be honest, it was a hell of a concert. Jovi, like, you know what killed me? You all watch Super Bowl? Okay, you know, Katy Perry. There's so much, I mean, it was, I, it wasn't that bad. I actually thought it was gonna be a lot worse. But it wasn't that bad, but it was so much show. Jovi, I'm not kidding you, you guys. All of a sudden, the, the, the stadium just goes dark, and everybody's like, Bleh. like it was so freaking loud. And all of a sudden, like the spotlight comes, and he just walks out on stage. No pyro, no nothing. This place was like, it was deafening, and they hadn't even started playing yet. And he just stood there like this, looking around, just a total rock star, <laughs> just looking. And then he, people, ah, yeah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden he goes like this. This is all he does. And it gets three times louder. No show, no nothing. Why tell you this? Because Monsignor Tom Richter, who you're going to have, he's going to teach you the discernment of spirits because I'm going to be out of town. He met uh, Richie Sambora, <clears throat> the guitar player, you know, the wow, whoa, wow, you know, the talk box guy. <clears throat> he met Richie Sambora. And he said they, they, were, they were eating, they had a meal with, <laughs> this guy's name was Tony Jabatoni. Isn't that great? <laughs> he was like this huge businessman or whatever. <clears throat> and so they were eating, and Richie was there. And as they were sitting eating, he's like, Monsignor's like, Richie, what's it like? You know? He's like, well, he's like, for six months of the year, man, you're a god. The other six months, a lot of pills, 
lot of alcohol and a lot of drugs. Why? <clears throat> because you can't feed. Why is Bon Jovi 50 years old and still touring? Because he doesn't have enough money? <laughs> you know, like, he's really hurting, man. He's in the hurt bag financially. <laughs> no, because he, they, can't, they can't get fulfilled. And for those six months, they're gods. And then for the next six months, they fall off the face of the planet. Does that sound like an enjoyable way to live? It sounds terrible. I mean, Hollywood people talk about this all the time. Tom Brady. Gosh, I should bring that freaking... Did I tell you about that? I told you about that. It's unbelievable. He has everything, and he's like, I just didn't think it. I, it came with all this baggage. Gosh, I wish there was more. I wish there was more. Faith is not just for idiots. Faith is meant to take reason and enlighten it with stuff that is beyond the created world. We call this metaphysics. Beyond meta, in Greek, beyond the physical world. So when I look at a human person, who do I see? Just a sack of flesh? Or do I see a person? So when I look at you, is it just you that I'm looking at? Just your body? Or do I see a whole person? Is there something beyond your physicalness? So when you look at me, it's not, I'm not just this physical body. There's, there's Josh Waltz's here. Waltz's is here. Existing within me and around me and through me and penetrating this physical corporeal body. Because that changes everything. If faith doesn't enlighten reason, that's when you get dictators. That's when you get the terrible tyrants of the world. Because they look at a body and they say, that's nothing but a body. And I can do whatever the hell I want to it. <clears throat> but if faith enlivens reason and says that, no, that's not just a body. It looks like a body, but beyond the physical is the metaphysical, the soul. That person is creating the image and likeness of God. And there's so much more to them than just a body. I was just listening to a, maybe you've heard it, it's, it's a Lighthouse Media, Jason Everett on pornography. If you haven't, maybe, I might just buy it for everybody. Because it's so good. It's so good. He, he talks about the facts. He's like, in pornography, all you're looking at is the body. It's not, John Paul II said, it's not that pornography shows too much. It shows too little. It just shows a physical body. It doesn't show the person. And if you train yourself to look at just the body and not the person, your life will be a nightmare. And especially, and he says, you know, he, said, he, he says, especially when we're talking about the woman. Do you remember we were talking about beauty? The most beautiful thing in the world is the female created person. Hands down. It is the pinnacle of creation. It's where God finishes his whole creation. He looks at man and he's like, you're not enough. <laughs> and then he, right, he makes woman and man is like, holy crap. This is what I'm talking about. Right? Jason, he's like, he's like, whoa, man. Like that's where her name came from. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was funny. <laughs> and he said, and, and you know, and he, he says, 
the really funny part. He says, he says, this is why it's, we have to be so careful with the feminine. He said, nobody gets, does anybody get addicted to like looking at water, pictures of waterfalls? Like, oh man, my wife busted me. I was looking at sunsets on the internet. <laughs> you know, I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> no, it's because you're looking at something that is just not a body. It's something that's a person and it needs to be reverenced in its integrity, in its fullness, with its full dignity. But that only happens when faith enlightens reason. These are not meant to be pulled apart. And even the self-refuting proposition shows us that reason cannot just be science alone. It has to be something else. The truth can't just be scientific. And this is why philosophical thought is so important, okay? That was all number one. <laughs> the logical difficulty. <laughs> Two is what we call practical difficulty. This one's a lot shorter, a lot easier. <clears throat> Underneath this, just put, it is impossible to practically live moral relativism. It is impossible to practically live moral relativism. <clears throat> Why do I say this? Because they can't make what we call value statements. And what's a value statement? Okay. It's impossible to practically live moral relativism because you cannot make value statements. And a value statement is a statement held in common universally by humanity. <clears throat> a value statement is a statement that is held in common universally by humanity. <clears throat> So give me an example of a value statement. Again, this isn't supposed to be hard. Huh? What? Yeah, I'm thinking more along the area of like human behavior. <laughs> Morality. You can't steal things that aren't yours. Can't steal things that aren't yours. That is a that is a statement held universally. Now again, these are blanket statements, more or less by humanity. Okay? Would you say that most of humanity holds a statement, you cannot steal things that are not yours? You cannot, you cannot steal things that are not yours. Yeah? What would be another one? Should not kill? I would say, I would say you sh you, you, the killing of innocent people. You can't kill innocent people. Do you think that humans as a whole say you should not kill innocent human people. Guilty ones, kill away. But you can't just murder an innocent human being. That's wrong. Do you think that that's blanket enough that all universally humanity holds that? Now you're gonna have your ones you can say, well, not everybody. Okay, not everybody. But I'm talking like the vast majority, okay? So those are value statements. <clears throat> now, 
The problem is, if you can't make value statements, you have, as I said, no point of reference, you have nothing to stand on. So practically, what, this is the practical difficulty, what does relativism look like when it's practically lived out in a society? Oh, it exists. Chaos. It's absolute chaos. And why is that? Everybody's doing their own thing. Everybody's doing whatever they want. It's basically moral relativism as a philosophical ideology for a society is the same as anarchy. <clears throat> Just do whatever you want. You know, why do we have rules? You ever thought about this? Sometimes I get in these little meditative, you know. Why do we have rules? To have order. To have order, right? What makes football fun? The rules. You know, I mean, dude, what if you just put, like, you know, 12 guys and put them on a field and 12 other guys and there was all this stuff laying on the field and they said, what should we do? And whatever you want. You know, Monday night, do whatever you want. All my friends are coming over tonight. <laughs> Nobody's gonna watch that, it's chaos. I mean, what make, it, any, you look at any sport, man. Like I was a big soccer player. And when do people really freak out? When you break the rules. You know, why do we need refs? Because we try to cheat. <laughs> Let's be honest. I love that, especially basketball is my favorite one. Where they're like guarding and all of a sudden like the guy falls on the ground, the guy's like, you know. <laughs> Like, dude, you're just giving away that you did it, you know? I would love to see somebody, you know, cheat and just be like, hey, I did that, two shots. <laughs> you know what? Like, call out his own foul. Rules are what protects the integrity. But if you, the, practic the practicality of relativism is anarchy. It's chaos. There's no way you can live this. And so why would we say it's a good idea for individual people to espouse moral relativism when it's terrible for a society. Because what is society? What are societies made up of? Rules. Yeah, but what are societies made up of? People. People. <laughs> individuals. So why would we say that moral relativism is a good thing for individuals, but a terrible thing for society? That's stupid. Because society is individuals. Got it? Three. This is my favorite. I call it the feelings <coughs> argument. Parched. It's a very simple argument that the moral relativists will say. <clears throat> I want you to write this down. Very logical. Good morality has good consequences. <clears throat> Bad morality has bad consequences. <clears throat> good morality has good consequences, bad morality has bad consequences. Fair enough. <clears throat> Next. Feelings of unhappiness and guilt are bad consequences. <clears throat> Feelings of unhappiness and guilt are bad consequences. Feelings of happiness and self-esteem are good consequences. 
for objective truth produces bad feelings. <clears throat> right? You know, I mean, if you're following a code of conduct like the Ten Commandments, you feel a lot of guilt. That's a bad feeling. And moral relativism produces good feelings. Therefore, objective morality or objective truth is bad, and relativism is good. It's a simple argument, but I want you to write it down. Right, so, very simple, right? Good morality produces good consequences, bad morality produces bad consequences. Consequences, are, you know, when you feel guilt and shame, those are bad consequences. Therefore, that's what you feel when you practice objective truth. Therefore, objective truth is bad. Feelings of happiness and care because I can do whatever I want are good. Therefore, moral, moral relativism is good. Here's the problem. First thing I want you to write down. Feelings change. <coughs> feelings change. Second, just because it feels good doesn't mean it is good. <clears throat> because feelings change, you know, like what you what you think, feel, all that right now, that's probably going to change in ten years. Hell. For some people, especially women, no offense, it changes day to day. <clears throat> Honestly, I went out, when we were on vacation, there's a family member that I have, and <clears throat> it was unbelievable. She was, she's, she's a bit of a relativist, but we're working on her. And, uh, but her feelings just, woo, 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 you know, I'm like, holy crap. This is, and then my brother's like, imagine if you were married. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, what if you spent like five grand and brought your wife and your kids to Big Sky and then she decided she was pissed? The whole time. It was hard enough to have a meal with a pissed off woman. Imagine like a week-long vacation. Feelings change. And if something changes that quickly and that rapidly, should you base your entire way of behaving in society on that? Probably not. Second of all, just because it feels good doesn't mean it is good. <clears throat> There's a lot of things that feel really bad that are really good for us. How about working out? Working out sucks. I hate it. I hate it. Eating well sucks. I hate it. Is it good for me? Yeah. Is discipline good for us? Yes. If you want to be good at a sport, guess what? You don't feel good all the time. I have a story. <clears throat> to hope, I hope this helps, uh, helps you understand why feelings are so dangerous. And just because you think or feel something like, oh, that is so good and awesome, it must be good for me, that is not a good way to live your life. Okay? So Joe and I, my buddy, my surfing buddy, <clears throat> same trip. 
Okay, so after we, it was about a week long trip. We only had a couple days to surf, but we were going all over the place. <clears throat> after we had healed up, um, it was like the second to last day. We were walking in this little place called Puerto Angel, which was on the Pacific coast again. It's a much smaller city. It didn't have electricity. So at night it was just dark. <clears throat> and uh, we were walking and the, the Mexicans, like real Mexicans, the one, I'm talking the ones from, <laughs> I'm talking the ones from Mexico, okay? Forget about it. These are Mexicans from Mexico. <clears throat> real, real ones. Um, so we were walking with them because we were living with them. And as we were walking home, my buddy Joe and I, we look up and there's this restaurant. It was about time to eat, about 6 o'clock. There's this restaurant that says Langosta Dos Por Uno, which is lobsters two for one. And we're like, well, because I love, have you guys ever had lobster? I freaking love lobster. <laughs> and I'm like, this is awesome. And it was seriously, it was like eight bucks or six bucks for two lobsters. And we're like, you guys, let's eat here. This is great. And they're like, I wouldn't eat there. And we're like, what? Like, it's two for one lobsters. And they're like, yeah, you know, we're just going to, we're going to tell you something here. You need to listen to us or not. We're like, okay, what? And they're like, how do you keep lobster fresh? And we're like, put them on ice. And they're like, how do you make ice in a freezer? What do you need to make ice in a freezer? Electricity. Electricity. <laughs> do you notice what's missing in the equation here? <clears throat> we don't have any electricity in this town. I'm like, God, shut up. They were probably like, they're probably alive in a bucket. And they just take them out of the bucket and throw them on the you know, in the boiling water, and then, and they're like, look, you guys can do whatever you want, okay? They said, whatever you, whatever you want to do, you can do, but we are not eating here. Now, in this story, who is representing objective truth? The Mexicans, because they're, they're from Mexico, they know their culture, they know how things work. Now, I represent the subject, and I make my own choices, right? Because we are self-determining individuals. That is something you cannot deny. And we said, you guys are stupid. I love lobster. It makes me feel good. It makes me think like I'm on top of the world and I'm gonna have a beer and I'm gonna have two lobsters and I'm gonna dip them in butter and you guys can go eat tacos. And they're like, whatever, go ahead. So I'm like, Joe, you in? He's like, hell yeah, man, let's go. So we get up and literally this thing was on this little like kind of terrace. And I'm like in my flip flops, my board shorts, you know, I have this shirt like, I had longer hair back then, you know. Sitting on just the Pacific wind blowing. <clears throat> Got a nice Corona, which was warm. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and I'm sitting there and I'm drinking it. The guy's like, what would you like? I'm like, give me two lobsters, man. He's like, right away. Joe's like, two lobsters, right away. <clears throat> they come out, just red, beautiful freaking lobsters. Butter. And I just, I'm eating. And it felt so good. I felt so good. I'm like, this is amazing. And we got done, and we're like, dude, those Mexicans didn't know what the hell they were talking about. So we're like, all right, well, let's go back. <clears throat> so we're walking home, and I'm like, I still can't figure out why they didn't want to go. So we get back. <clears throat> it's about 8 o'clock or whatever. Play cards for a little bit. And, uh, and then we, we go to bed because <clears throat> it's 10 o'clock, and you can't see anything, so you got to go to bed. <laughs> and... Uh, so I'm like laying in bed, I'm like, gosh, 
I was like, I feel so good. I'm like, I haven't sleep like a baby tonight. And I fell asleep. <clears throat> and about, I don't know, two, three in the morning, I like came to, and I thought I had wet the bed. And, and I couldn't really like see correctly, like everything was foggy. And like, I was like, what the hell? And all of a sudden I'm like, shit, I am so hot. Here I realize it's sweat. My sheets are soaking wet from sweat. And you know how like, as you're coming to, you become more aware. <laughs> There's levels of awareness as you wake up. And I'm like, I am, I'm like, wow, am I hot. Like, and I, I'm telling you guys, I bet I, I bet I had a 105 degree fever. It was like, it was, it felt like my face was melting off. And I like sit up on the side of the bed and I'm just like looking, I'm like, I'm like, where's Joe? <laughs> and Joe's like, you know, and I'm like, what the? And all of a sudden it's like, and I'm like, dude, I am telling you, I have, it felt like somebody reached into my stomach, squeezed it as hard as they could and just started taking a knife and stabbing it. And I'm just like, oh. and I'm like, I, I thought like I was going to be stuck forever in this position. It hurts so bad. And I'm like, oh. and all of a sudden it's like, it like let go. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I don't, have you seen Dumb and Dumber? It was like this, and I'm like, <laughs> and I knew I had about 10 seconds before every orifice in my body started exploding. And so I start running, like I'm running as fast as I can. And I'm sitting, <laughs> I still can, I can picture it so vividly because there's this little candle in the, to in the, in the bathroom of this nasty bathroom, this little toilet. And I'm like sitting there and literally like I jump, I swear in the air with crap shooting out of my ass <laughs> onto the toilet, like land and just like, Aah! you know, like lit, I'm not kidding you, that, that scene from Dumb and Dumber, it became very real for me. And I'm like, just like, Aah! you know, and it's, I didn't think you could crap that much. And all of a sudden it like stops and I'm like, and I'm like, and I puke into my own crap. Like splashing, it splash. It was so disgusting, and like I got you know my pants around my ankles. I got crap down my legs. I'm vomiting, and then all of a sudden I like jump back up, sit, flip around, you know like I didn't think that there was this much stuff inside of the human body. So then, finally, I'm sitting on the toilet like I have a rest between this. And I'm just, you know, all I can think of is like the lobster. <laughs> Why did I eat the lobster? All of a sudden, this is the best part. All of a sudden, the door flies open, and I look. No, look, I'm like on the toilet, like, <laughs> and I look up, and Joe is like, <gasps> and literally he runs and like shoulders me off. So I'm, you know, I'm sitting, and it's just like. I land on the ground like, you know, drooling, naked, and he starts puking into my stuff, and then crapping, and then puking. The next, all I remember then was waking up the next morning with five Mexicans standing. I'm laying, buck naked, poop all over myself, all over, vomit, laying on the floor next to Joe. 
And I just, five Mexican guys laughing. <clears throat> They're like, great lobster, huh? <laughs> and they walk out. Now, why do I tell you this story? Because my hope is, is that you realize just because it feels good doesn't mean it is good. You know, people are like, I, the, the example you can always use is, is sex. People are like, I can have sex right now. What's the big deal? It's a lot of fun. It's enjoyable. It feels good. Sure. So does lobster. <laughs> and in 10 years, you're going to be crapping your brains out, vomiting all over yourself. Because just because it is good doesn't mean, or just because it feels good doesn't mean it is good. We have to be so careful about these things. Feelings change. And I still like lobster, but I'm a hell of a lot more cautious. And I'm telling you, I don't wish that on anybody. <clears throat> I'm you, you know, like they do all these terrible torture tactics. Like they should just force feed people, like, you know, dirty, bad lobster. And just let them crap their brains out for three or four days. I had a, I had a parasite. And really, again, that in itself is a really good analogy. You know, like, what does bad morality do to you? It puts, it, it, it creates a parasite in you. <clears throat> you know, again, to, to, to refer to Jason Everett, he said, if you're a guy and you're looking at pornography and you're watching it and watching it and day in, day out, and day in and day out, and you're like, it's not hurting anybody. It's not, you know, it's not like I'm killing people. And you just keep watching it and watching it. What is it training you to do? It's training you to look at a woman and use her as an object. And so then when you get married, how long do you think your marriage is going to last? You know? Pornography, that he was, he was saying, how, how often, how long do you look at a pornographic picture? 15 seconds, 30 seconds, I don't know. You're doing that over and over and over. And guess what? These poor women, these poor women, they're made into like these goddesses of the sex world. No wife can live up to these women. And I don't care if you're watching pornography day in and day out. You can marry the most beautiful, sexiest, hottest woman in the world. And you will be bored with her in about a year. Because that's what you've trained your mind to do. You have a parasite inside of your brain that is sucking the very life, the sexual life out of you, the masculine life out of you. And people say there's, no, there's nothing wrong with pornography. Look, man, it is an epidemic. There is not one man or woman that is not open to this on a daily basis based on the technology we have right now. And it is destroying men. It's destroying them. But they do it because it feels good. Just because it feels good doesn't mean it is good. And the whole time when you're saying it feels good, it's all, it could be working inside of you and creating a parasite that ruins your life later on. Just like it ruined my life about six hours after I ate that lobster. Good analogy? Never gonna look at me the same again, are you? Just gonna see this poopy priest. <laughs> Feelings argue. The, the last thing I, what time we got? <clears throat> last thing I wanna talk, well there's two more things, but guilt. I'm not gonna take a break, I'm just gonna let you out in, in like 15 minutes or whatever. Is that right? <clears throat> Guilt, right? Because we can't deny guilt. Guilt is, guilt sucks. It sucks. But maybe guilt isn't really that bad. <clears throat> okay? I want you to write this down. Guilt is to the soul what pain is to the body. 
Guilt is to the soul what pain is to the body. <clears throat> what do I mean by that? <clears throat> Right, exactly. It's telling you something's wrong. <clears throat> you know, I remember when I, when I broke my wrist, the pain was telling me what? Something is drastically wrong in your body. And it was, you know what we call it? We have this principle in Catholicism called Christianity, called the mystical body. And what that means is, is through baptism, we are all united. And when one member of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. And when one member of the body rejoices, the whole body rejoices. <clears throat> I don't know if you guys, have you ever, you ever had a head massage? They're freaking amazing, <clears throat> okay? And they, they, I'm not saying I do this a lot. <laughs> they have this little thing they make. It's a head massager. And it's this little wire, and you like push it down and pull it. It's amazing! <laughs> It is simply amazing. And but the, the point of time, as you're doing this, guess what? The whole body feels good. Not just your head, it's like <laughs> it's just all over, you know? <laughs> Same, and then so th that's the mystical body. So when somebody's rejoicing, we should all be rejoicing. When somebody's hurting, we should we're all hurting. You know, and so like when I break my wrist, the only part that's hurt is my wrist, but it affects my whole body. So pain, as we experience pain, I don't know if you can, I'll just try to show somebody this so they can verify it. You see that right there? Mm -hmm. See that scar? Yeah. Okay. That scar, I have a scar right here. When I was about two years old, maybe, I went up and my mom was cooking. I'm like, hey, orange, right? There's a burner and my hand stuck to it where my mom had to like push me so I, it would come off because I couldn't pull it off. It was melting onto the burner. Okay? And guess what? Guess what I never, ever, ever did again in my entire life? I never touched a burning hot burner with my hand. Here's another one. I don't know if you, I'm a, I, I was just prone to injury as a child. My mom, you know how you have the tooth fairy? We had the fingernail fairy. Because I had so many fingernails fall off. Because I get them like jammed in doors or, it was crazy. I got like one, you know the bike chain? My brother and I were like whipping the bike chain as fast as we could and we'd put uh, grasshoppers in it. <laughs> it was awesome. We had, we had, you guys, we had like 150 ways to kill grasshoppers. We used to take our BB gun and we'd rip off the legs and jam them down the gun and then shoot them at a wall. We'd throw them into the air conditioner when it came on. Because there's so many grasshoppers. We lived out in the country. We actually lived right out here. It wasn't that far from here. Um, but anyway, yeah, so like he was cranking, and I was, I put the grasshoppers in, and one time my whole fingers, <laughs> so I lost the fingernail, slammed in the door, you know what I mean, like, there was, I was just so prone to injury as a kid, but the one, the one I was going to tell you is, I, I seriously, you know, you see this all the time as a joke, but I was like a little kid, and I saw this banister, it was winter, and I was outside, and my mom was like inside, and I got bored, and so I was just eating snow off the banister, you know? until my tongue got stuck to <laughs> And then as a little kid, you just freak. You're like, ah, ah, you know? And then just, Bleh, you know, Bleh. well, guess what I never did again? I never stuck my tongue on a metal in the winter, you know? I mean, like, if I kicked this as hard as I could and broke my leg, like, I probably wouldn't kick wooden objects anymore. The same guilt. Guilt is a protector of the body, I mean, of the soul. 
So when you experience guilt, it's not like this debilitating, terrible thing. It's like God's wake-up call to say, hey, you're killing your soul. You're killing your soul. But we can do the same thing. You know what they do to the Navy SEALs? They stick them in like rooms and then they put tear gas in there and they put tear gas in there and they put tear gas in there until what? They're immune to it. Or at least the effects are drastically reduced. By the way, is anybody see American Sniper? Holy crap, that's... Anyway, don't even get me started on that. <clears throat> Unbelievable movie. Um, but anyway, so what are they doing? The pain that they experience, they're numbing the pain by doing it again and again and again. Same with guilt. You can make the guilt go away. You just keep doing it over and over and over and you will numb the guilt. Just like we can numb pain. That's how like the seals can take unbelievable amounts of torture. Why? I mean, you guys have seen the movies when they're locked arms sitting in the Pacific Ocean freezing their ass off like for 24 hours? They train them to endure pain. They train them to not feel pain to the best of their ability. We can do that in the spiritual life. We can get rid of guilt. It's possible. But God has put guilt into the human person to protect the person, the soul, just as pain protects the body. Okay? Don't ever forget that. What's next? <coughs> ah, final argument. So one, two, three was the feeling argument. Four is what I call tolerance. Again, pretty simple one. Probably end with this one. <coughs> the claim, or the argument is, moral relativism is more tolerant than objective truth. You know, it's as always, you're so closed-minded as Catholics. You gotta be more open-minded. <clears throat> Any of you repeat that? Moral relativism is more tolerant than objective truth. <clears throat> you need to be more tolerant. What kills me about this one? As <clears throat> we're supposed to be tolerant, okay? But according to moral relativism, everybody's entitled to their own opinion, right? So everybody's like, you should be more tolerant, you should be more tolerant. And we're like, okay, we'll be more tolerant. But we just want to say, they're like, shut up! Keep your damn religion to yourself. Keep it private. Keep it out of the public sphere. I'm like, wait, what about tolerance? <laughs> I thought we were supposed to be tolerant. Oh, oh, so I'm supposed to be tolerant of all your bullshit? And, and, and then you're not going to tolerate any of mine? Oh, okay. Here's the problem. Here's the problem with this statement that you sh What is, what do we tolerate? Yeah, bad things. You know, like if, if you're coming over and you're mowing my yard every, you know, once a week, I mean, for free, I'd be like, I swear to you, if you come next week, I will beat you. Because this free mowing stuff ain't happening anymore. I have tolerated it long enough. But wait, we don't, we don't tolerate good things. We accept good things. We tolerate bad things. Moral relativism, though, claims that what? There is no bad. Yet you should tolerate all these things. Well, tolerance, by its very definition, insinuates good and evil. 
You know, we tolerate abortion. What does that mean? It means we want it to go away. <laughs> we're going to do everything we can until that point comes where it goes away. But we're going to fight it because it's wrong. Nobody tolerates good things. We only tolerate bad things. So even by saying you should be more tolerant of homosexual marriage, what are they saying? That it's a bad thing. It completely contradicts their whole philosophy. I hope you're beginning to see. I just hope that this, this, ideal, this ideology is laden with contradiction. Laden with contradiction. And now what I want to show you, and we'll do this next week, is I want to show you that the truth of the gospel is objective, that it has no contradiction, that it leads to happiness, and that Jesus Christ is who he says he was and is credible. He is worth our trust. I want to read this to you, Pope Benedict XVI. I'll finish with this. He said, because um, Benedict XVI was like the rock star. He hated relativism. Hated it because he saw the dangers of it. He said this. He said this to the youth. Right? World Youth Day. So he's talking to you guys. When you say youth day, it doesn't mean like little kids. It means the young of this world. Having a clear faith based on the creed of the church is often labeled today as fundamentalism. Whereas relativism, which is letting oneself be tossed and swept along by every wind of teaching, looks like the only attitude acceptable to today's standards. We are moving toward a dictatorship of relativism which does not recognize anything for certain, and which has as its highest goal one's own ego, one's own desires. However, we as Christians have a different goal. The Son of God, the true man, he is the measure of what it means to be human. Being an adult means having a faith which does not allow, which does not follow the waves of today's fashions, or the latest novelties. A faith which is deeply rooted in friendship with Christ is adult, is masculine, is feminine, and is mature. It is this friendship which opens up to us all that is good and gives us knowledge to judge true from false and deceit from truth. It is what leads us to happiness. I hope you see that you cannot have it based on the law of non-contradiction. There either is truth or there isn't. You can't have it both ways. You can't say, I'm going to do whatever I want, and then you better, you better pay attention to the, the law of human nature and respect my, my, my thoughts, my feelings, my desires. Either there is a truth or there isn't. And if there is one, we better dang figure out which one it is. Because it conditions everything. <clears throat> Fundamentalism, real quick story. When we were in Italy, uh, this guy, you know, Italy is, I think, 96% Catholic. <clears throat> it has a 7% practicing rate. <laughs> that means <laughs> almost 90% of the country says they're Catholic but does not go to church. <clears throat> and we were talking to this guy, and we said to him, we we're like, we're like, you Catholic? He's like, Father, come on. He's like, I'm Italian. <laughs> Of course I'm Catholic. 
And we're like, oh, cool. Like, what, 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 what church do you go to? And he's like, ah. He's like, I'm not a, he's like, I'm, I said I'm Catholic. I'm not crazy. <laughs> he's like, so the idea, like, Pope Benedict's saying, like, just living your faith is seen as fundamental. I, it's like a fundamentalist. And by the way, just, just a, I'm just throwing this out there. I would much rather have a fundamentalist Catholic than a fundamentalist Muslim. Because the basis of our teaching is peace. The basis of their teaching is not peace. I hope, I hope that you have come to some bit of enlightenment. That you need to live your life. It needs to be guided by a set of principles. And if feelings, your own thoughts, your own feelings, they don't cut it. They're too whimsical. They change too quickly. And that this is one of the most important things you are ever going to decide upon. Do you realize that? I'm telling you, this class that you're taking right now, I'm a little biased. It could possibly be one of the most important classes of your entire life. Because it is putting a decision before you. How are you going to live your life? Is it going to be for you? And the way you want to live? Or is it going to be for others? <clears throat> because there is, one, there is one person that gave us a creed, a faith, that totally based life on living for other people and not for yourself. And that next week is who I'm going to try to prove to you is the most credible source. And it's why his specific gospel, his good news, has lasted for over 2,000 years and has fundamentally changed the world. And the more we lose it, the worse the world gets. Okay? Any questions? Have a good night. <coughs> so, you have a good point.